Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixer G, and I'm having a terrible, I don't know the terrible is a way to say it. I'm just feeling off today. It stinks. Um, I, I didn't shave, not because I wanted to look, but uh, I got up for a phone call with a sponsor, and it was super early, and it, it the sponsor canceled. They're not happy. And I'm not happy if they didn't get the numbers that they wanted. And I don't know. I, I just, it's, it's sending me into a downward spiral mentally, but I don't have time to deal with it because I, I, I had phone call after phone call. And then this interview and 80 is a good friend. He said, Andrew, we could reschedule. And I said, no, I want to talk to you right now because I feel like your book life profitably is, is kind of arguing with my feeling in my head. And I want to argue back with the author. All right. A.D. Paynar is the founder of multiple companies. Many of us know him as the guy who created WooCommerce. It's an e-commerce platform that works on WordPress. It was acquired by Automatic. He then created Conversio, email marketing automation for e-commerce brands. It's acquired or was acquired by Campaign Monitor. His latest company is called Cogsy. It helps e-commerce companies optimize working capital, e-commerce, 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 this whole thing. Uh, does your wife also have a, an online store that, that you've now been tweeting about a lot? What is it? Yeah, she she um, has the biggest uh, hair extension slash hair care business or e-commerce brand in South Africa. Yeah, <laughs> that's killer. So you're all e-commerce out, and then you decide to write this book, Life Profitably. And the whole premise of the book, as far as I know, is, look, don't sweat it. You don't have to make everything about business be so critical. In fact, you don't even have to be the most successful business person in the world. He must have used the phrase family man like 60 billion times in the freaking book. Um, anyway, I want to talk to him about it because I, I don't know. I don't feel I, I have all these outside interests. I got, I'm a family man too. I never call myself that. I got kids. I got a wife. We love each other and it's, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not this interview where we find out about his new book life profitably, which is available the day that we publish this interview, you can get it for 99 cents from Amazon. Cause he's a marketer and he wants to probably game the Amazon algorithms, go to the chart. Yeah. All right. It's sponsored by two phenomenal companies. The first is HostGator. We'll talk to 80 about uh, doing um, launching an e-commerce company on HostGator. And the second is TopTal. When you're hiring a developer, go to TopTal. 80, good to have you here. Thank you so much for um, allowing me to be your sparring partner today, Andrew. Dude, here's the deal. Here's what's happening to me. Sponsor cancels, says the numbers aren't where they need to be. And I start to think, well, maybe the audience isn't where it needs to be. Where am I going with this? This matters. My wife um, sees me because we're now working from home. And she goes, Andrew, I'm thinking of you. I know you're, you're not having a good day. I go, fuck, I don't need you to think about me right now. I don't need the sympathy. I don't need the love. And you're saying to me that that's like a nice counterbalance for bad days. It's not, it's not helping. Yeah. So, and yeah. And I, you know what, I, mean? I think like, um, you know, the first thing that I can say about the book, right. Is I didn't write the book and I'm not sharing these ideas because I am perfect at these things. Right. So for me, it's very much been this also just kind of my own growth journey. Right. And the book is trying to abstract some of those things that I think could be helpful to others. I like what you're describing, what you're feeling, that kind of, I think that's a, the roller coaster that we tie up into ambition of any kind, right? When, and I, it's fascinating when we think about just in one second, I'm jumping around a little bit, but when we think about, and we hear the word ego, right? And people tend to say, you know what? 
the ego shouldn't be there. You should not be egotistical, blah, blah, blah. The ego is not good for you. But if we didn't have any ego, we wouldn't have creators. We wouldn't have makers. We wouldn't have innovators. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have in, you know, entrepreneurs. Like Nothing would really pull us forward and out of this kind of status quo. The reality of that is as soon as you do something that matters to you, in your case, like you create an absolutely fantastic business. Mixergy has been around for how many years? It sucks. Like hearing an advertiser say, hey, sorry, Andrew, we're not happy with that. There's no way that... You, like that I can't imagine like knowing you, right? That you don't take that personally, right? And I think that's the reality of life. Like if you if you do work you love, you're passionate about, you're always gonna feel that. What I'm proposing with life profitability is just that taking that step back and just recognizing that this thing that's happened in my business or in my work, it's only one part of my life. It's, it's not the most everything. important part. Well, and, and that's the thing I argue, right? Because I, I just don't think that, because here's the thing, like that proposes that kind of there is ultimately kind of never, like nothing's ever going to be enough or good enough, right? And I think like that's a futile um, exercise. Would you I say think- that if you hadn't sold two companies, hadn't built a reputation for yourself, would you, if you hadn't had money in the bank, would you say that? No. I, so yes. And so I, I am big, that guy, right. And I'm, I'm very cognizant of exactly that, right. Cause I think so many of these things, you know, or these supposed wisdoms, right. Or ideas are shared by, you know, people that are successful and they share it after the fact. And it's pretty much that kind of hindsight of a journey. And you kind of retrofit the storyline to the narrative you're trying to preach. The reality for me, Andrew was the following, right. Is and this is where I kind of got off track in my personal life, right? So, you know, I helped create WooThemes, WooCommerce, get sold. I'm a millionaire. I decide that I want to do something new because I leave kind of WooThemes, WooCommerce, and I feel like there's one at wonder. And I think we chatted about that in a kind of episode way back, just as I got into Receiptful before it became Convergio um, eventually, right? And probably about halfway through Convergio, I have more than enough money in the bank I should be happy, and yet I'm not. I'm not right. And instead, I'm standing on this ledge in my life, where I metaphorically or kind of you all take this jump, where I decide that you know everything that really matters to me in my life, this is not worth it anymore. And I think that's wrong, right? Like that's the point that I'm trying to make. And and maybe maybe I think I'm the sample size of one, right? And I've written the book just for myself. My gut feel is I think that there are more people out there that feel like they're on this kind of, you know, rat, in, in this rat race on this kind of, you know, persistent kind of hamster wheel and they don't know how to get off it. And I think part of that is this notion that we've said that work is so important. We even kind of pitched this whole idea of we should have work-life balance, which I don't think exists and I can't exist because we're proposing that work and life are two separate independent things that can keep each other in balance. I think work is just part of life. Work is always just one component of life. And for ambitious people, it will always be a big thing, but it can't, it can never be the only thing and it can never be the most important thing. It can't be the most important thing. Oh, you mean the other side I, of life? I think, and, and I think that's a point where I, I, I will backtrack kind of you know, somewhat, right? When I say work can't be the most important thing, I think for many people it like, totally can be. And I don't think that in itself is wrong. I think the kind of the biggest goal that I wanted to achieve in writing the book was not to write a how-to book that proposes, hey, Andrew, here's a 10-step blueprint for you to have greater life profitability, because I also don't believe in that. In fact, I think these things are 
superbly unique and it has to be personalized to each of us. And I think at any given stage life in your life, right, your work could be the most important thing. What I didn't recognize early enough in my life was just all of the kind of the collateral damage that I had created by being so narrow-mindedly focused on What's feeding the collateral the damage. What my I yeah I mean I like the I spoke about this ledge that I got to in my life I, I you know a couple of years ago I convinced myself that the only way to fix my life is that I needed to get a divorce for example right which was a crazy idea like because ultimately at that stage like even if I kind of if that happened I would still be sitting with myself after that and I was a big part of like, if not the kind of, you know, 99% of the challenges that I was facing at that stage, right? What, what do you mean? So I have to admit, I thought about that too. I love Olivia. We have a great relationship, but I thought, man, if I get a divorce, I'll be in one of these um, uh, divorcees apartment somewhere with nothing to do. I'll channel all my time and energy into work and I'll be fine. But then, and then I'll be able to create something really meaningful. But then I, I also do think that that's, BS, I can do that right now. It's, I'm just frustrated and I feel that some kind of dramatic move might change everything. But in reality, I might end up over there, probably likely to end up in that, in that crappy apartment, just hating life so much that I'm unproductive again, just like, yeah, it doesn't really help. I'd be just where I am now. When what was the period? This isn't even one of my lowest. This is just a bad day. What was your lowest period where you were thinking that? Yeah, well, so so, so probably at that point, like three or four years ago, and like what I think what was interesting, um, Andrew, is that rolled into shortly thereafter rolled into a period in Converge's history, at least that's where kind of we we were on the rocks. We added the skids a little bit, right? We had to lay people off, um, like and. I had to challenge myself, like, here's 80 Rockstar, you know, builds fantastic business with Ruthie through commerce, has all this kind of, you know, bravado about this new business. He's doing it again. And then it doesn't go as intended. Like he took people's money, like he took investor money and now it doesn't work out the way he thought it's going. Right. And like that, 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 that space, and this is towards the end of, um, you know, for kind of, I'll draw the timeline. This is end of 2017 that this happens. And for about two or three months, like really tough. Like I almost to some extent, like it was almost like uh, emotionally I had to check out of the business yet mentally I had to be more there more than ever before because I needed to find out how to reject the business. I was really tough. The reality is, and kind of fast forwarding, like a short 18 months later, right? We got acquired for kind of ultimately kind of your know, life-changing amount, right? So, but th- at that point, like end of 2017, like really, 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 really dark. I mean, I, I wrote loads of poetry at the time, for example, and um, Jean, my wife, refuses to read it because it is very dark. It is very negative. It's very cynical, which is very counter to being this generally, you know, confident, positive, optimistic entrepreneur what that I... What happened in the business? Oh, we uh, had reporting data fail, which which meant that the revenue that I thought was there, and there was like, this sounds silly when dumbed down, right? like without kind of, because I can't expose the parties involved. Um, but essentially there was a lag in our payouts and I was aware of the lag, but we didn't get the reporting 
wasn't available to really quantify that. So it was this moving target. So we constantly overestimated kind of revenue and cash flow was was lagging. And Payouts it took from us about sorry. From your uh, customers, you mean, or from a partner? Yeah, for a partner. Okay. So someone needed yeah. to pay you money. You knew that the numbers that you were getting from them weren't up to the minute. Or in fact, they were so, Yeah. Huh? Exactly. So there's there's a lag and we don't have a way to reconcile it, but we're kind of expecting this is going to be there. And then okay. that suddenly isn't isn't there. And it suddenly kind of there's 15% of MRR is just not there. Um which meant at that stage, like we had I thought we were profitable, right? And then suddenly we're not profitable. Instead, like we're very close to kind of, you know, well, perilously close to, to, to zero. In fact, I'll never forget, we ended November 2017. End of month cash flow was $7,300. And at that stage, we were we were beyond $2 million a year, right? But I ended the month $7,300 you know, in the bank, and I couldn't pay myself, right? I, I, at that stage, I, like, I had to sacrifice or delay my own salary until we could fix things in the business. I think of who would pay an e-commerce email marketing company <laughs> and have it be that dramatic. And when you say you say you're two million dollars at the time, you mean two million dollars revenue or two million dollars expenses? Uh, two million dollars revenue. But I mean, that revenue. stage was uh, that stage was the same thing, right? Because um, we suddenly right. were not profitable anymore. And so, what you told me was that's when you decided you were going to wake up early. I think you wrote in the book five thirty in the morning. I've been I've been waking up at six. In your book, uh, Life Profitably, you say you wake up at five thirty because that's when you know your kids won't wake up. God, damn it! I wake up at six. I wake up even at five thirty. They hear the creak and I walk so quietly, and then they come right out. Um, but I've got to just get up earlier than everyone else. And in my time, what I've been doing is I'll clear out my emails so the rest of the day could be free for myself. And that is not what you do. I've interviewed other entrepreneurs recently. They refuse to wake up and do work on the business. They do work on themselves. And for you, it was what? Yeah. So I, I do a couple of things and I mean, this has changed, right? And I, I don't stick to this as religiously as I, as I did back then when I felt I, I needed it more, but my morning routine in those harder times um, and where I think I started practicing that or exercising that mindfulness muscle ultimately was a combination of things. So um, I'd pro probably do 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of meditation, normal Vipassana breath work, just to kind of, you know, clear the mind. Um, and then I would either do kind of, you know, uh, kind of do some writing, some kind of morning pages if I felt up to kind of writing, or I would just read, right? And I would try, um, I would try stay clear of as much work or external stimuli as possible, because those are generally the things kind of, my inbox can pull me in every kind of, you know, 360 degrees in terms of emotions, right? Depending right. on what is what is in there when I wake up. So I try and just delay that. And I try and just have this notion of um, just have a slower morning. And it's interesting because that changed for me completely as my kids got older, um, because that timing then like shortly thereafter, like when they do wake up or when I have to wake them up at six, then the school run starts, right? And the school run is my responsibility in the morning. I have to Kind of heard the you know heard the sheep for them to get dressed for school, um, you know get like kind of the uh, lunch boxes packed, um, and then I actually drive them to school, and um, like so I couldn't really get into productive work 
that way when they were younger and they didn't go to formal school or school started much later like i didn't necessarily do that i would i was the guy that woke up like at five or six and i would immediately as quickly as i can get a cup of coffee and like be in my email inbox so morning pages means what i'm curious about because i think in the book you say how important it is to write out your thoughts how you keep journaling how long have you been journaling your whole life I've been writing my whole life. I wouldn't necessarily call it journaling. Um, and I think like, I, you know, when I recently, when I try, when I do kind of that kind of journaling, I try and just write uh, the first sentence that pops into my head and I just do this kind of, you know, stream of consciousness. Right? It's a stream. And, it could be anything. You're not guiding it towards what's good in my life. What do I want to create? No. Nope. Um, and I've tried multiple things. I've, I've also used like essentially at, at times used, um, the five minute journal, right. Which has specific kind of more intention and kind of more focused on, on gratitude. I think morning pages are just the thing for me to take whatever is supposedly top of mind for me. Cause I think that's, that's, what's interesting is some things that are stuck in our minds. They're very persistent, very prominent, but they're not necessarily very important. And they just kind of want almost like, I, I find sometimes they just want that acknowledgement by putting pen to paper, and then you can kind of release things, right? And sometimes what has been valuable in that sense, beyond that feeling of release is sometimes I flip back through kind of my notebook and I read these things, sometimes kind of a year later, and you can kind of see some patterns emerging about, hey, like here's how that kind of train of thought was probably suboptimal at the time. And I think like I, I don't have massive learnings, but it's interesting. I mean, I the most recent one, I probably had was I looked back at a few journal entries around the time that um, I sold Conversion, right? And I think there were interesting things there, like little seeds of how it was probably already evident, even though I was trying to tell myself, you know, AD, this is this is you, this is you, like you're not going to start a new business. Where like between the lines and what I wrote down there, the evidence was there, or the idea was there, the possibility was there that I was always going to want to build another business. Eventually. Uh, you're saying even as you look in the journal, you could see you're, you're writing out, I'm not getting another job. I'm taking, I'm taking a six month sabbatical. I think you say in, in life profitably, but you yeah. read between the lines and you see that you're coming into something else. I, I, that's something I don't do. I don't go back and I read my journals and I feel like I should, it's just so painful to go back and see that stupid person. Right. Because no matter what, you're becoming smarter today than you were before. And so it's painful to see that. It's well, and I'll, I would actually just flip that narrative, right? I, I believe in the power of words there. And I would just flip it like when you see that version of yourself, like that puts it in perspective, the progress you've made since. Yeah, that's what I should be thinking. Okay, so you're just sitting down and letting whatever comes to you happen. Your journal, uh, you're meditating, excuse me. And then you're reading. What were you reading? <sighs> Any. Anything. The the thing that I probably read kind of you know least at the stage is any kind of you know business books. Um, so I try and you know many of the concepts that I've put into the book. Um, it's very diverse. So philosophy stuff. Um, I got kind of you know, very deep on kind of the Stoics. Um, you know some kind of you know, Buddhism stuff, but anything essentially that um, you know pulls kind of my mind to different directions. Like I, I like I, I want books to illuminate more of the universe for me and not just read down a narrow path where I decide like, hey, I like 
I need to learn more about sales. Let's get you know the ten best sales books and read through all of them. Um, so something why, why I do also- you care about Buddhism or the Stoics and all that? You clearly have a goal for your life. You want to make as much wealth and as big a reputation as you can, right? But maybe that maybe I'm oversimplifying it. But there's there's a clear financial um, and popularity motivation for you. Fair to say? No. 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 What do so, you want then? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't say popularity. I do want relevance, right? I think feeling relevant in the spaces in which I kind of move on a daily and weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think like that part of the ego is there. Um, I do want to have my finances at such a place where I can essentially explore the universe without kind of you know, worrying too much about my next paycheck, right? So there is a kind of a, a level there that is important you know, for me. Um, but ultimately, I mean, like the things that are important to me is is more my legacy. It's more kind of the stories that my kids tell about me, you know, kind of once I eventually kind of you know, pass on. Like legacy is important to me. Um, you know, constantly learning, those things are important to me. Like being challenged on a kind of on a regular basis, like taking on new challenges, those things are important to me. Um, you know, kind of contributing to the societies or the you know spaces, communities, ecosystems in which I operate. Um, you know, those things are important to me. So, so how does Buddhism are... get you to that? Doesn't Buddhism tell you and do, doesn't the reading that you're that you're going into tell you to let go of those desires? Yes, but hence, hence, hence why, like, I cherry pick the ideas that I ultimately like, right? Um, like, I think, and there's probably, I'm, I'm not a kind of a Buddhist scholar to to this extent, right? Um, but again, I think you know, a big part of that, you know, of, of Buddhism is also just acknowledging where that ego is and not necessarily trying to put yourself into kind of discontent with that ego, because all those things are ultimately ego, right? It's things that I want. Um but no, like I said, I, I'm not a perfect Buddhist. I like I don't categorize myself and or label myself in that sense in with anything for that matter. Um, yeah. You know what? One of the things that that's been sticking in my head from your book is in the section where you say, "Look, I'm going to give you some prompts at the end of each chapter. Write something down. I'm not, and I don't think it's like question and answer. It's just here's a thought." And you encourage people to write. But you say in there too, if you're not a writer, consider audio recordings, consider alternatives. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I am someone who's journaled for years. Since since I was about to graduate college and I thought, where the hell am I going? Everyone else is getting a job. What's wrong with me? And I needed to write. I've been doing it. But I wonder if there's room to create a video journaling platform for myself or for the world. Here's what I mean. Writing now is, it's it's not, I don't get in the same flow as I do when I'm having a conversation with you and just talking it through and saying what I want. And in an interview, I found that people will be more open with me than they realized, even if they're journaling. And I, I wonder if I would do better to open up a video app and or open up the video of a journal app that I have and just record directly into that. I wish it was a little more scannable or searchable, I should say, but I I, I like your approach to having alternatives for journaling and not just be so dogmatic about it, having to be on paper and having to be yeah, text. And, 
and entirely right. And, and again, like I think the, the whole theory here of, um, and I'll explain where the kind of that journey and or or kind of your vo- voice notes for self comes from, right? But again, like the idea of life profitability and everyone defining and discovering their own version thereof um, is that it's all on on you. So the reason we included the kind of those reflections at the end of each chap- you know, chapter is, and ask those questions and suggest kind of journaling or at least capturing those thoughts is by the end of the book, there are some worksheets that helps you think through this in a kind of holistic manner and having those breadcrumbs as you work through a chapter is then helpful. Right. And I think to the same extent, like if you're figuring out anything in your life, if you leave yourself some of those breadcrumbs, especially if it's in that moment, like if it's in the kind of moment in this day that you felt shitty, right. And you made a note of that and you had the context and the color about why today you felt so shitty there's value in that, right? Because you're probably illuminating some things that either works or does not work, right? And if you're able to piece that together, then you can probably find small little kind of improvements or tweaks or changes that you can make in your life based on that. But we often move so fast beyond the moments, the good and the bad, that we never take note to sit and just think through like, what does this actually mean, right? Because we're in such a rush. Again, we're on this hamster wheel. Like we're just constantly kind of spinning, 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 and never sitting to start, just take a step back and see, just feel the way we actually want or or are feeling in that moment. To quote one of my favorite poets, when one road leads to the next, how do I know when things will actually change? Do you recognize that? Yeah. (laughs) That's you, dude. Yeah. I was looking through my my notes on you and I realized I bought a poetry. Is this a poetry book or, or your tweets? This is po- that, that, that's a book of poetry. It um, is, right? So it's it's called Motion. I bought yeah. it, I guess it must be about a year or so ago. And I'll, I'll tell you two, why. Two years. I'll yeah. tell you why I bought it. There's something about the freaking design of the cover and the idea that you're that you're a poet. And I go, all right, let me just go buy it. And I, in preparation for this interview, I said, let me look at all my, I, my highlights. I'm an obsessive note taker and, and, and highlighter. There's nothing. It was just like a read. I was just sitting there reading it section after section. And now it occurred to me, maybe it's Twitter. It's not, it's you literally poing, uh, po- writing poetry. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's what I was kind of referring to, right? So in the dark patch of kind of your conversion of cash flow issues, et cetera, I somehow got back into poetry, literally reading. And I, read kind of some contemporary poetry, realized that like, I don't have to apply all these rules that I thought you needed to apply to poetry. Like the, the rules that I kind of you know, got taught in, you know, in school, back in primary school when we did poetry as part of kind of English and Afrikaans, right? And I said, well, I, I like to write. I'm just going to take, kind of, you know, take a stab at this. And as I said, mo- most of the book is like, it's it's dark. It's kind of mostly kind of your negative stuff, but that was how I felt at the time, right? And it you know, became um, a very nice distraction for a short amount of time that got me through the harder work that I I'm, I'm gonna to read do. one, I'm gonna read one of these. The impetus for my experience is all about you, your rejection, your criticism, your disengagement, your wants. It's just, I, I felt where you were at the time that you put this together. And I said, who's publishing this? I can't believe that he did it. It's. I, I dig that about you. All right. 
I also dig your freaking design and everything that you do, your blog. Now I went to prepare and I saw that. I like how simple, clear. I like how you wouldn't just underline uh, links. You had to have that broken underline. That's got to be Morse code. Is there some hidden meaning behind the underlines on your hi- hyperlinks? No, no, you just like the design. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Olivia and I, my wife are at your house. The design of everything, even the refrigerator pictures is beautiful and so well done. And I, before we left to South Africa, I said to Olivia, we got to get rid of all the crap on our refrigerator. It's such a distraction. This is such a, like a, a middle America thing to do to put stuff on the refrigerators. I don't want any of this. And so she agreed to let me take it off. And then we come to your place. It all looks so beautiful. She goes, that's what I'm going for, Andrew. See, look, they've got taste. Why, why aren't we keeping ours up? It's different. I walk into your house. There's this wine, like, is it a wine closet, wine cellar? Just the showpiece of the house. It's beautiful. Yeah. Who knew that 80 cared about wine? I, I'm i 100% sure that I've drunk sweeter enough for people to at least kind of have some inkling that I do like. No, I know from that, wine, but I wouldn't have expected from you. It's, it's an interesting part of your personality. You introduce yourself at some point here as 80 Rockstar. That's the way that you presented yourself to the world. It, your first name, 80, last name, Rockstar for a while. And um, maybe that's why I would have expected like an ale collection, but no. Very refined huh? style at home. Very refined collection of wine. Sophisticated. All right. Uh, I, I forgot to do my first sponsor. Maybe this is why my sponsors are canceling. I, I go like <laughs> 30 minutes into an interview before we do it. My first sponsor is HostGator. One of the things, Zadie, that I was thinking I would do this year is just experiment for fun, create stuff online for fun, and not even connect it to me, but let it be an exploration. You're into e-commerce. Honestly, if you said, look, Andrew, take 30 days, play with this one thing, ditch it later, what, not blog, what e-commerce thing would you suggest I host, let's say on HostGator? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I've i always been biased, right? I mean, I like, I think, you know, WooCommerce is the sleeping giant here. Um, and I 100% think, like, especially for you, Andrew, who's big on content, right? I think if you were to venture down e-commerce, get WooCommerce, get it installed on HostGator. I'm 100% sure they kind of make it super easy for you. What would I sell? Like, Give me something that's so out of left field that's like you po- uh, publishing a poetry book. I, f- I want to do that. And I don't even want to say there's a synergy. Your audience is really going to dig it if you do if you sell microphones. I want something so different that I'm almost ashamed to talk about it publicly because it's so whacked out. Oh, dude, like honestly, like... Scroll TikTok for no, don't sell hair extensions. Okay. The, the market is cornered, Andrew. Um, dude, like I, I would probably like scroll through TikTok for ten minutes, right? And like whatever the cool kids are doing, like that's what I would probably go for. Like, you're saying you just go find, to Alibaba, find a way to buy it. Should I buy it first? Yeah. Should I drop ship it? I should probably buy it and then sell it for my house, right? Yes. 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 That's in, like that 100. Like always, a better customer experience. Make it. Than, make you make know, it. Make it is is better. Like if if it's something you enjoy doing, yes. Like I mean, I think um, you know, I think the most fun thing that I've seen someone make yeah. that's kind of left field is um, you know Josh Pickford over at Bear Metrics, which he also just sold, and he has a little company called um, Laser Tweets. I believe it's LaserTweets.co. I've seen right? that. Yes. Where so and he just kind of etches tweets onto kind of these wooden plaques, right? And it's something like he built all his own tooling, does his own you know, stuff at home where he's got this kind of workshop going. I think like, that's the kind of thing, if you're into that, right, then make it. Uh, okay. The most like into it thing that you are, just go and make that crazy thing that, right. Okay. And then 
put it up on, on WooCommerce. Why WooCommerce versus Shopify? Let's be honest. You have no yeah, financial I'll connection go- to WooCommerce. Why? Yeah. And, and either, and, and, and to be honest, um, my wife runs on Shopify, right? And she, when she started her business, like we had that choice and at that stage, Shopify made more sense. I think the key thing, um, and as I said, hence in your situation, like when you're big on content, I think there's no platform at the moment in the world that does content better or easier at least than WordPress. Well, you're saying right? because then I could use content to promote the store. Yes. Got it. And that's. That's that's what I would kind of go further. I think kind of ease of ease of setup, app ecosystems, all of those things are similar, right? I think you know Shopify definitely has some pros versus kind of you know, um, versus WooCommerce and vice versa. If content is a big consideration, like I would go WordPress plus WooCommerce. I'll tell you one other reason. I I, I love Shopify too. Here's one reason to go. I had a guest I was supposed to interview this week. He laid it out with Ari, our producer, what's going on in his business. He has the software that increases sales. Shopify wouldn't let him do it. Then Shopify did let him do it. Then he did great. Numbers are good. Then Shopify comes back and goes, we change our minds. We don't want you to do this. And it's, I'll tell you afterwards, he's, he's not keeping it a secret from friends, but it's like, what kind of crazy ride is he on? And then suddenly he has this tool. He doesn't have this tool with WooCommerce. It's just up and running. He's always had it. It's always been effective. Um, and that's one of the benefits of being on WooCommerce, because if you go to HostGator right now, install WordPress, and then with one click, also add WooCommerce, you're going to be able to sell online. And if you don't like HostGator, you take your stuff and you move away. If you don't like what WooCommerce is doing, well, are you stuck? No, because WooCommerce isn't a company that can come and snatch your software away. They can't tell you what to do. It's your site, your software. They just happen to have made it. All right. If you go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy right now and play the way that I am this year, you don't even have to send it to me. In fact, go do something in isolation the way I am. HostGator.com slash Mixergy is the URL where you get their lowest possible price. Thank you, HostGator. What did, so how did all this journaling and poetry, you know what, let's talk about how you resolve things. And then I want to know how all the work that you did got you to resolve your business. Last year we talked, you said, or um, when we left the story was you were what, down to 7,000 in the bank? What'd you do to turn it around? Yeah, so uh, tactically, um, we literally went to every single screw in the business with a screwdriver and tried to turn it slightly until it kind of turned around. So at that stage we did, because actually we didn't have the cash flow to put into marketing. So just growing revenue didn't become um, a guaranteed way of kind of digging us out of that hole. So it was a lot of like, going back to kind of basics work, like paying back tech, you know, tech debt, opening up kind of your know, resources by, you know, um, decreasing infrastructure costs, those kinds of things. You, you, lay, and then, you lay some people off, right? To cut expenses, am I and, right? Yes. And, and you're saying you cut back on software that you needed, right? That you that you and signed up for? Spe- uh-huh. Specifically infrastructure costs, right? So any SaaS, any SaaS solution that you build, you know, the one of the bigger kind of costs is that infrastructure costs. So we went back, paid back some tech debt in the product, i.e. simplified some of those operations, optimized some things that kind of, you know, where our AWS bill was just kind of, you know, too high, but because there's a trade-off, right, that you have to invest engineering hours to bring that down, mm-hmm. didn't make sense before. At that stage, it makes sense. The TLDR there, Andrew, is like, it's a very, it's, it's, it's not riveting work, right, at that stage, it's boring work. Um, but it needed to get done. It, like we needed to return the business to solid kind of your footing so we can kind of grow and start new growth initiatives again. So I think that was one part thereof. I think the other part of it 
that um, that I don't often talk about because again, it's not that sexy, but I went through that, at least thought experiments and some, you know, putting some of interaction of where I decided this year, like if someone comes in with an offer for X tomorrow, would I sell? If this business went to zero, would I be okay? And those were hard truths at that stage because we were in a great trajectory before that. And I kind of, as I thought that through, I, like some of that, I wouldn't say I was at peace, but I was a lot calmer about the possible outcomes. And at that stage, we got, I had two parties, acquisition parties, you know, even, and this is early 20, you know, 2018, um, interested in the business. And both were depressed, what I would call kind of depressed sales, right? Like not global offers, but low relative to, especially where we eventually sold 18 months later. But I at least knew that if I needed to exit for whatever reason this stage, I had this plan B. And having that plan B created, you know, along with the small kind of, you know, bits of progress we were making internally, essentially reinvigorated me to start the, that kind of your know, next stint or next phase of the journey. Knowing that someone would buy the business for something, it's not going to go down to nothing. Your investors might make some money. It's not ideal, but that helped calm your mind. Yeah, because I think, you know, that's, it's like a, a graceful exit of some kind, right? And, I, and yeah. I think that's why, you know, when you asked me about kind of, you know, like whether it's kind of your wealth and popularity and stuff, that's why I told you upfront, like, I think that relevance is important. And the biggest challenge for me across my, at least my whole kind of, you know, professional or adult kind of, you know, career has been the fact that AD is an entrepreneur, that's the only persona that I've ever presented to anyone else. I've I, I've never, I spent six weeks working for a corporate before, after university, before I switched to working with teams full time. And the biggest kind of, you know, demon that's always chased me is, you know, what is AD if he's not an entrepreneur anymore? Mm. What is AD if he has to tell everyone on Twitter that his business conversion went to zero, right? And he couldn't crack the nut. And like, that's, like, again, realistically and rationally, like that problem is minuscule in the you know, greater context of the world and the universe, especially given this last year, for example, and everything that's happened. I know that, but it was also my problem, right? It was my challenge. And in my world, like that was significant. And I was always something that was there. So just that notion that, hey, this is not going to go to zero at least, freed up a lot of that kind of attention and stress. That happens to me too, that I won't go to zero. It's a really relaxing thought. I will still be able to go and have years of nothing while I figured the next thing out or while I get bored of nothing and then get antsy and want to come back. It gets harder with kids though, right? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Harder totally. also, I mean... It gets harder also with a wife. I feel like my wife isn't looking to me for money for things, but the identity that I think she loves is associated with that dynamic personality that comes out that's related to business. You you know, the let's make anything happen. You talk in your book about your wife likes uh, Justin Bieber. I'm not sure why. Instead of taking her to therapy, you got her on a plane and you took her to a Justin Bieber concert full of like these teenage kids and she loved it. But, and that's the, like the entrepreneurial excitement coming through. Maybe I need to disconnect it. It doesn't have to be entrepreneurial um, excitement. It's just spontaneity, right? It's an aspect of your life that doesn't have to be connected to your business. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think 
again, like that's the point, right? I, I'm not, I'm not trying to propose that all of those things aren't valuable. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not saying that entrepreneurship exists or that I, you know, don't want to be an entrepreneur or I'm not an entrepreneur. Like that's not what life profitability is about. I, I, what I also just know is when, when that, when me being an entrepreneur has been the only thing that's important in my life, things have been out of whack, right? And I actually, and the same, in the same way you mentioned Olivia, I know with Jean, like she knew the moment kind of, you know, selling the business to you know, campaign monitor and eventually leaving campaign monitor, starting to talk to her. The first conversation I had with her is like, Hey, I kind of think I want to work on something new. She said, I always knew that you were going to work on something new and that's what I love about you. And I think, so again, like it is seeing all those things in a very holistic and wholesome manner. Cause I think that's what paints the bigger picture about us as individuals, right? And what is ultimately important to us. It's not these kind of narrow things. Um, and it can't just be defined, I think, as me being an entrepreneur, me pursuing profit or wealth. It needs to be something much broader, something much more diverse, something much more realistic. You know, one thing that I feel like you've got that I think is messing with me because we're, but you've got stability with where you live, right? It's a place designed your way, your community, your um. I don't, I don't think you were thinking I'm going to leave because of COVID or because the city's getting quiet or anything. Yeah. You're shaking that off. Like it's nothing. Of course not. I also think that the question mark in our head about where do we go as a family has added a lot of discomfort and that instability then, then spills over into other aspects of my thinking. Anyway, do we stay here in San Francisco? Do we stay at this place? Do we stay in California? Everyone seems to be leaving California. It makes total sense. We did the math. I asked our accountant. I said, tell me how much money it would be. We would save if we left California from taxes, went over all the ways that California could still take some of past money back. But overall, it's a significant amount of money. And so we're thinking, do we leave? Where do we want to go? Are we married? It's like all that stuff. Are we married to California, not to each other? Uh, we're committed to each other. But that adds a lot of uncertainty everywhere else, right? It, it feels like that's part of what you're saying, that you've got other things going for you that anchor you, that keep you stable. If entrepreneurship is all over the place for you, you're not all over the place because there are other relationships, your other parts of your existence are still stable. Exactly, because I think in that sense, like, I think build, building a business will always be tough, right? And there's always so many variables that one needs to account for. And it will always be somewhat of a kind of rocky or roller coaster ride. And you're very right, Andrew, like we like, we moved away from our, like close to our families, for example, right? Seven years ago when we moved into our current home where you and Olivia had dinner, right? And um it's more remote. It's slightly more countryside, right? Mm -hmm. And it's been an incredible move for us as a family. And the fact that we have such a stable home and family life has definitely hedged any kind of volatility and chaos-like experience in my ambitious kind of endeavors. The key thing there is, though, is I have a reciprocal responsibility there, which is I cannot work myself to the bone and then take a hollowed version of myself back to my home, back to my family, because that's not fair on them. And that's, those are the kind of, you know, 
life costs or life losses that we ultimately accumulate along this way when it is very narrow and we're merely going after these kind of ambitious pursuits or professional pursuits or monetary pursuits. Um, so just seeing those things in as a whole, right, also means that's the definition of greater life profitability. It's just expanding that context to be much, much larger, larger than this singular focus on just my business or just my work needs to give me kind of energy and money. All right. There's one sentence that I don't know how to, from your book that just has been sitting with me so for so long. I, I want to come back and uh, read it to you, but first let me talk about my second sponsor because I'm feeling so bad right now. All I'm going to is I could have done this. I could have done that. Second sponsors top tell. Here's what I'm thinking that there's so many things that we built into Mixergy that I should have just hired someone from TopTal to productize and make available to everyone else. For example, you go back to one of our older interviews, you hit play, we ask you for an email address, right? It, it automatically asks for an email address before you get the older stuff because you're coming from Google and you're probably going to tap out and we might as well. That little thing could have been some kind of a product. If we made it for ourselves, it might have been better disciplined to think about how do we make it for other people, Right. Are you nodding because you're listening or nodding because you agree? If you don't agree, tell me, shake me out of my, my crazy thought today. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't comment on the idea itself, right? But yes, I think like two things that does resonate there and one from experience as well. And like sometimes like we can only stumble on really great like product ideas, software and otherwise, because we're so in so in the specific trenches of doing that thing ourselves, right? So <clears throat> that idea, for example, few people, would be able to even stumble onto that kind of insight that this actually makes sense to to build. I think that's the one thing. The yeah. other thing, and this is what I've done, like I'm not TopTel's kind of you know, best customer in the world ever, but I have used them because what I love about them is I can essentially get something built relatively cost efficiently and it remains a variable cost. I, I don't have to go hire right. someone full-time to do it. And it's not necessarily just a freelancer because TopTel gives me someone that is actually verified that I am 90% sure can get me kind of what I want on budget on kind of your time. So yeah. that's, that, that is why I was nodding with what you were suggesting. Yeah. I mean, so what you're saying is in addition to, to the fact that I could have productized this and maybe the idea would have worked, maybe not, I would have a fixed cost in this, not an ongoing commitment to a developer, one developer who knows how to do it. I think that in general, we should have been thinking not how do we create for ourselves, but there are probably other people who are dealing with this. How do we develop the experience of saying we need this instead of making it just for our unique uh, needs? We're going to spend 25% more, even if it's 100% more time on it to make it available to others. And let's just put it out there for free. Let's just put it out there to 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 learn, to experience. But instead, what we did was we kept saying, we need something, we are going to customize it exactly to us. And then it can't get pulled out of our world because it's directly related to us. Um, all right. From now on, the possibility, the uh, the opportunity to go to TopTal is there. And if you're listening to me and you're in a similar situation and you go to toptal.com slash Mixergy, you'll get 80 hours of developer credit when you pay for your first 80 hours in addition to a no-risk trial period. I still look through the transcripts. We use Descript to auto-transcribe all the interviews. They do a great job. They still transcribe TopTal as TopTowel. I'm like, what am I saying here? <laughs> in my accent that bad? It's T-O-P-T-A-L, top is the top of the mountain, ta um, Talents and talent, T-O-P-T-A-L.com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. All right, here it is. 
Values give us courage. Page 167. I just highlighted that. Did you write that or is that a co-author written thing? Uh, that's probably a combination of myself and, uh, and my editor. It's such a good freaking line. And I think that up until a year ago, I knew ex- up until I went to Estonia and I had this conversation, this interview with the founder of uh, one of the creators of Twitter. I, I don't know if I could technically call him the official founder, of, excuse me, not Twitter, uh, Skype. Anyway, um, with Adi, one, Adi, one of the creators of Skype, he, he just got me to see that he let go of all of his needs to create another startup, just disconnected when he had his daughter, said, I'm going to stop trying for a little bit and then see what happens. And what happened was he got excited about creating robots in his garage or something, and he started making them, then he started battling them in robot competitions. Then he said, hey, you know what? These robots are so good. I bet they could deliver food. And suddenly they're delivering food on college campuses and ideally medicine and other things soon too. And, and anyway, I just said, I'm going to let go of stuff. Up until then, I had clear values. One of my clear values was this, Eddie, that if you want something, just get it. Just go after it and get it. I don't think about budgeting. I don't think about, does it make sense financially? I don't want that many crazy things anyway. If I want to go go spend the money and get it. If I want to do something, go and do it. I want to get on a plane and go somewhere, go and do it. Olivia has an idea. She wants to go on a plane, go somewhere, go and do it. There's infinite money, infinite possibilities. Let's just go do what we want. That's one of the values. I never articulated it that way, but that's it. Now I'm thinking, I'm questioning everything. And then that does take away a lot of my courage because I'm, everything is, where am I going? What am I going to do? Does it, so there's, there isn't that grounding point of do whatever the hell you want. The money will always be there. The possibilities will always be, be there. That, does any of that make sense? This is just, maybe this is more of a morning pages thing than a podcast uh, <laughs> statement. <laughs> Which is perfectly fine, right? The kind of you know, Buddha teaches us not to judge these these thoughts and words. Um, half half joking there, but what resonates there, Andrew, and like the way I think about that, and where values plays a big part in the book, because I reference values quite often, right? And this idea of if someone were to read this book, and they would think about their own life profitability, it doesn't really matter like where they are at in their current journey, or what they think or what they've decided their next steps will be. What is crucial at that point is that they need to be in alignment with themselves, right? I.e. know kind of what your kind of your most important values are. And the reason I think that is important is very simple. It's just that as you take those next steps, there's only a single common denominator on that journey. And that's ultimately yourself, right? You can get a divorce, right? So you can get another partner, which means families can change. You can move to another country, right? New house, new friends. In your business, you can kind of you know, bankrupt your business, start a new business, change the idea, change team members. Absolutely everything can change. The only thing that doesn't change as quickly, at least, is you, right? Which is why I think knowing what you truly value and trying to optimize as much as possible for that, that's why it gives you courage, right? It adds energy and it probably gives you much greater life profitability when you can honor those things. I've got I've got tons of examples of how values gave me courage, right? Start a company, don't have any money. My value is just go for entrepreneurship. Uh, Olivia and I started dating and I had a trip planned overseas. I said, I'm going to buy you a ticket too. Instead of, you know, worrying, what is she after? What I have the courage that I'm going to make things work. Um do you have an example of how values give you courage? I, I have other examples too, but I, I'm, I'm looking to see what you, how it does it for you. 
Yeah, I think the, the most obvious one is probably in the realm of either my thirst for learning or curiosity. I, I know that it doesn't really matter what challenge I encounter in future, right? Or stumbling block that occurs. I know that like either kind of my curiosity to find an alternative or unique solution to that problem or my ability to just persevere and learn through that, like I would probably figure something out. And so that have that give you courage. Oh, to try new things because you will figure something out because yeah. you'll read it, you'll learn it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. So I think maybe what I need to do now is in the morning, think about what are what are the what are the values that are still true for me? What are the values I had before? I never sat down and wrote my personal values. What are they? What is it that I have been willing to sacrifice everything for? And then what about now? What's what are the values that I'm willing to sacrifice everything for? And then when a question mark comes up about how it's going with the sponsor, how it's going with uh, Olivia, how it's going with my life, I, I've got something to come back to and just and live that value that I believe in. And then that does give me courage to take bold moves. It gives me courage to to know that I'm that I'm right. Or that I'm yeah. I'm at least I'm I'm aligned with what I care about. Yeah. And and that is never perfect, right? I don't think values and even knowing your values is going to give you the perfect answer or next step. But I think you are at least coming from a position of strength when you are aware, aware of those values and how they relate to this thing in front of you. What's this thing you're doing with Dan Martell? That close, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm close it out with this, but I'm curious. Cogsy, you're starting a new business. What's Dan? Dan, I, I was a little bit worried when he started coming out with YouTube videos that he was going into some kind of gurudom and, oh, you sat up for Dan. What the hell is it yeah. with Dan Martell that's making people sit up? <laughs> so he's got some kind of, I thought he had a mastermind and a YouTube channel and he was going to start doing that route, but he's not. There's a lot of substance to that guy. How many people have I interviewed, including you, said he helped change my SaaS business for the better, right? Yeah, exactly. So right. What did so- he do for you? And then what's, he, what's the new business deal with him now? Yeah, so so what he did for me and what he does now is the same thing. He is, um, he's my, my coach. He's my SaaS coach. Um, we, at one stage, explored kind of a, a greater working relationship, him doing more in the business itself. That didn't transpire. Um, so we're, like, he's my coach. So I've been part of Dan Martell's SaaS Academy for about three years now. Um, and again, like in that period where I really needed the help, what Dan learned or taught me at least was um, and inspired me to actually address in my business, like predominantly, was things around accountability, keeping my, you know, giving my team ownership and keeping them accountable, as well as kind of a couple of systems and then some tactical stuff. So he did all of that for me. I think like three years later, and I like the context here is I've known Dan, we met at a microconf, I think 10 years ago, and I've been friends since. So it's only in the last three years that I've actually paid him to be my coach. And I think the biggest benefit of being in Dan's vicinity is his energy and his commitment is absolutely kind of infectious, right? Like it's inspirational to see someone else build a business in that way. Um, And it's amazing to tap into that kind of just that experience, that mindset, Etc. I mean, to the extent, by the way, that as kind of you know, beyond kind of the new business, um, I've been a part-time coach in Dan SaaS Academy for other founders as well, and just kind of you're know, paying, you know, paying this forward. That's that's how inspired I've been um, 
to just stay in that realm, be part of SAS Academy and continue working with that. I guess that's also what you're doing on your blog. You said you're going to be building this business in public and partly to hold yourself accountable and partly to have a way for, and partly for marketing, you were, you were forward (laughs) about that. And then also to have a record of the numbers as you're building it up, because other people aren't as clear about the numbers or they're smaller in their vision. Fair. Yeah. Well, and, and the numbers are like, what I'm trying to share here is I'm actually trying to share my own health data there. So not just kind of your business health data. Like I'm trying to, I think the key thing here is, Andrew, is like, I, I don't think I can write a book that proposes, you know, greater life profitability and this idea that you shouldn't just build a business that's profitable. It should be life profitable and then not practice it myself, right? Or not aspire to that at least. And I think, you know, building Cogsy in public and sharing that journey is a way in which I keep myself accountable as well, right? Because it's a public record where I'm 100% sure whether it's kind of good-natured people or the trolls, they will call me out if, you know, if I'm being a hypocrite. All right, that's at adaii.me. And then the book, I was kind of teasing that you, of course, are marketing it. 99 cents available right now on Amazon, uh, the Kindle version, which frankly, for me, the only version is a digital version. I freaking hate paper versions. Don't do yeah. me a favor and send me a paper version. You're the same way? Yeah, entirely. I like exclusively read on my exclusively. Kindle. Exclusively. And I'll tell you why. This is some. This is a point that I will die on. Here's why. I'm talking to you right now. I need to quickly bring up your old poetry book. I don't have to scramble to my house to find it. It's right there on the iPad. If I didn't have the iPad, it'd be on my phone or on my computer, right? And then my notes that I took on life profitably are going to be here forever. I just tap on it and open it up. You you challenge me on Twitter. You say, do you even read any of my book? And I go, maybe I didn't read any of his books. He's, I asked him to come on. We were talking about a topic. He says, did you even read my book? I go, did I not read it? And then I open it up. Um, since you sent me the PDF, I open it up in a, an app called Highlights. I see all my notes right there. Yeah, I read your, I read your freaking book. I read it. I like it. Um, what else are you doing to promote the book? Yeah, um, loads of these, hopefully. So loads of podcast stuff, um, as well as publishing some new kind of, I, I would say, derivatives of content as well on my blog. So sharing some of the kind of key concepts in just kind of your different ways, ways that, you know, some of the content that essentially got cut from the book. So doing that. Um, and then I've got a whole publishing team hopefully behind me that are actually experts at marketing a book that takes care of all the Line things. Crest. That... I wonder what they're going to do. That's Tucker yeah, Max's company, I... right? Yes, correct. Um, yeah. And they've, they've, what I've seen at least Andrew is um, they have pedigree and they've got experience. And they've got a very specific formula. And I think the kind of, you know, one of the key lessons that's not related to my book that I can probably share for, for anyone here. And it's actually a kind of via uh, recommendation from, from Dan as well. But there's a book called um, Who, Not How. And what the book essentially kind of proposes is like the, the question should not be how do I co- you know, accomplish X or do X? The question should be like, who do I need to get X done? And just that simple notion, like I think changes a lot. And I think working with Lioncrest is exactly that, right? It's, it's not me saying, how can I you know, get a book to market and get my ideas to spread? It's who do I need to essentially not guarantee success, but giving you the kind of you know, the, the biggest likelihood of getting my ideas out into the world. Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Yeah, that's the one. All right. So your book, I'm looking, you know what? You were talking about derivative content. I'm going to tell you what I think would be really good derivative content. What is it? The 90-day profitability planner worksheet, right? You yeah. actually do this? Yeah. Well, 
I haven't yet. I followed a similar like informal process, which we formalized for the book. The idea is that as I now ramp up, you know, Cogsy um, in the kind of the, in the next couple of months, is to actually start doing that and track that kind of myself um, to really put that to practice. And and that's part of the things that I actually hope to just share, you know, whilst building in public via my blog as well as just say, hey, here's how I am actually thinking about my life at this stage. Here's how I'm gearing it towards greater life profitability. Saying, here's what's important to me. And you've got self, others, business, and future. And then here's what's important in each one of those areas. So for others, you've got family, you've got commercial relationships, right? Commercial uh, stakeholders, community, and so on. And then you're rating yourself um, on a scale of negative two to two on each one of those. And then you also, and getting a, a number, you can see you're a yeah. numbers person in addition to being a design guy. And then you also have um, a planner, three goals for the next 90 days, value alignment, action items. Why, why 90 days? I think a lot of people prefer annual goals and I've been rethinking that. 90 days seems like it's, it, well, why do you think 90 days? Why are you telling people that you, that you do 90 day goals and they should do 90 day plans? Yeah, I think um, when it's a year long goal, and don't get me wrong, I think it's totally fine to have a kind of big goal that you want to accomplish in a year. But I think when we plan for those things, 90 days, at least for me, feels like a good motion where I have enough time and space to figure things out, right? Because where I stand here, if I said kind of the, the goal for this year is to get my revenue from a thousand bucks to 10,000 bucks, right? And I need to start breaking that down. I don't necessarily know today exactly what I need to do to you know, get there. I might say I need to kind of you know, write an ebook that I'm giving away and I'm going to get email addresses, put it on, you know, into a funnel, upsell them or kind of sell them to a demo and then kind of get them into software. 90 days feels like enough time to add that bit of time pressure that this doesn't just kind of leak into, I know finally do this like in month 10 because it's a year long goal, right? But it allows me enough space to just figure things out and do things that I'm not just running on that kind of hamster hamster wheel. So that's the idea there is think slightly smaller. And again, like I think the key thing there is not even the 90 days. Like if your cadence is slightly different, that's perfectly fine. I think what is much more important is like showing up on a daily basis and making small kind of, you know, incremental tweets, like 1% better, because those things are ultimately the things that kind of compound. All right, let's close it out. You worked hard, sold a company, life is good. What's one fun thing that you got for yourself? Anything? I've been interviewing people for years. I keep asking. The only thing that anyone ever buys is a car. Nothing. Yeah. So no, this time, this time actually, um, oh, okay, you caught me off guard. With, you caught me off guard with the question there. Um, we bought we we bought a beach house. Um, beautiful place on the beach, about an hour and a half away from here, on South Africa's west coast. Um, we bought a beach house, um, and it was one of those things. And again, like you know, you mentioned Olivia earlier. I've mentioned John, and how that I think, you know, when I zoom out from my lens, how things change. Like I think buying a kind of holiday home is probably the worst financial decision we could make. And yet in this last year, we took transfer in March, just before South Africa's first hard lockdown. And it's been the most, it's probably been the single best purchase of my life, Andrew. Like the fact kind of, we as a family have spent so much time there this year, right? And just kind of bonded as a family because most of the time, it was only the four of us, right? John, myself, and our two boys. Um, 
and it's just like it's spun up so many new traditions, so many new things in our family. Like what? Um, and it's just, well, I think for the first time ever we play board games, right? Um, mm. Or when we go when we go on a week on a weekend um, when the kids at school, for example. On Friday nights, it's burger night, right? And it's burgers on the braai. Yeah. And I've taught AD Junior how to actually do that so that I can sit back and have a glass he's of wine. He's doing it now? Yes, with supervision, with supervision. And he's, he's he? nine. He's, he, nine. He's nine. He's nine. Wow. He's supposed to be able to do these things. His, yeah, with, like without supervision, I would not guarantee the quality um, if you're a meat connoisseur or a burger connoisseur, but it should be eatable. Um, but I think like those are the the little yeah. things Um that's ultimately compounded from a big purchase, right? I mean, I, I don't want to downplay the fact that it's we're in a privileged position to do something like that. But yeah, I'm not a fancy cars guy, right? But when John ultimately convinced me that this would be a good idea for the family, like I was, I was all in. I do feel like it's way better than a car. I, I guess I'm also not a car person. I get no satisfaction <laughs> from being in a car. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations also on having the name 80, which you gave yourself years ago, uh, two eyes like the we. And the reason I'm congratulating you on it is because I said, I thought I saw it on Instagram. And I said, what's his Instagram handle? And I realized, oh yeah, it's going to be just 80. How many other 80s are there in the freaking world? It's just him. And sure enough, that's you. All right. For anyone who wants to go and get the book, go to Amazon or frankly, go anywhere else. It's life profitably, right? Life profitability, the new life measure of entrepreneurial me. oh, success. Too many freaking tabs. Life profitability. All right. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first will host your website, right? It's called HostGator. Check them out at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, when you're hiring a developer, even if it's just for a tool that you need for yourselves, yes, they do have great WordPress developers and others. And whatever you create, you can share with the world. All you have to do is go to toptal.com slash Mixergy. Adi, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much, Andrew. You bet.